take our Bibles and go to Exodus 14 as we continue looking at the series, The Red Sea Rules, looking at some lessons, some rules to live by from the encounter the uh, Egyptians and Israelites had together with, uh, the, with the God of the universe there at the Red Sea. The same God who led you in will lead you out. He will lead you through. And we also face our Red Seas. And they are scary times. Facing the Red Sea on one side and mountains all around and the Pharaoh, uh, the Egyptian army with Pharaoh bearing down. It can be very, very difficult. But God has many lessons for us uh, to take away from these uh, opportunities. And we need to see them that way opportunities in our life to grow in faith. So two weeks ago we learned that there are times when God leads us into a situation that humanly speaking looks like a trap. No way out. I told you I have been researching to find out what I think uh, or where I think the actual crossing is. I think I'm narrowing it down. Uh, there's all sorts of different ideas. I'll put some maps and put it up there probably next week. Uh, but I... I've been looking at uh, some commentators, but also uh, a, a very interesting DVD that uh, was put together by some, some uh, archaeologists who discovered some things and, and actually some chariot wheel-shaped formations of coral and so forth. And it's just neat to see uh, that God leaves behind little things that we can put together. Not that we have to have that to believe, but it's always... Uh, a fun thing to add uh, to the picture. And uh, if, if the experts are correct, yes, there was no way out. When they entered into that area, Pihahiroth, uh, there was mountains all around, there was Red Sea before, and there was a riverbed that they had walked through. More than likely, it was a riverbed, a dry riverbed that emptied out of the Red Sea. That was the way in, that was the way out. Problem is, Pharaoh and his army were now in that channel and spreading out. There was absolutely nowhere to go. And folks, sometimes we find ourselves there in a place where there is absolutely nowhere to go except up. And if we find ourselves there, uh, that is a good place to be. It is a good place to be when you have to look to the Lord exclusively. And you can thank the Lord and praise the Lord that he loved you enough to bring you to a place where you're going to be able to know his grace and know his power in perhaps a way that you've never experienced before. So we saw that these things are not accident, but rather a purposeful, deliberate decision by the Lord. So number one, the rule, Red Sea rule number one is realize that God means for you to be where you are. And not only does he mean for you to be where you are, he led you there purposefully, deliberately, why? Because he is concerned about something bigger. And that leads us into Red Seed rule number two. Realize that God means, uh, I'm sorry, so uh, realize that God means for you to be where you are. And number two, be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. This is where we were last time. Are you asking the right questions? We talked about that. There's a lot of questions we ask. Why me? Why now? What did I do? When will it stop? How do I get through this quickly? Where's the gas pedal? Uh, those are the wrong questions. What do we need to ask? Lord, will you be glorified in this situation? Help me to trust you. 
Help me to be patient and give me the grace that I need to be able to endure in this trial and that you would truly be glorified in my life. So uh, those are the first two so far. And the third tonight is this. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Let's say all three together. So back to the first one. Say them out loud because I want you to remember these. Number one, realize that God means for you to be where you are. Number two, be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. And number three, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Exodus 14, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord." And they did so, and it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand, but the, children of, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. Interestingly enough, there was a well-traveled route from Egypt to Midian, that would have been more than likely the route that Moses took when he fled all those years ago. And then he met God at the burning bush uh, on the mount. And then isn't it interesting that God would have him do it again and to take this time, not himself, but take all the people along the same route to the same general area, same mount, only this time to meet with God for a different purpose but as you look at that route, uh, they, they are given a, a, a new detour. They don't go straight the way you would expect. They have a little detour because God wants to entrap them. <laughs> it would have made perfect sense to just stay on the route and just get to Midian. But God says, no, I want you to go this way to this spot where you, where you will encamp and have no way out so that I can deliver you. And Pharaoh comes bearing down. And verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou, hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out to Egypt, out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? 
For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak thou to the children of Israel that they go forward. We have the enemy bearing down. Panic in God's people. But the first thing they do is cry to the Lord. And then they start complaining to Moses, okay? <laughs> so there's, there's, there's two key players here. There is Pharaoh and his armies, and there is the Lord and who are we going to look to and trust when we're in a situation like this? Well, I like this Red Sea rule, number three. Uh, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. It is, it is never told us in Scripture that we are supposed to just pretend like the, that Satan doesn't exist. On the other hand, we're not supposed to see Satan behind everything going on. Some churches and some individuals go to seed with this. There's the demon of greed and the demon of uh, upset stomach and the demon of, uh, uh, I don't know, hangnail and all these demons. And it's like, come on now. No, some of this is just we live in a fallen state and we humans can mess things up without a demon's help half the time. Uh, more than that, probably. So there's two extremes. Satan's responsible for everything and then Satan's responsible for nothing. I think this is a good balance, a good biblical balance. We need to acknowledge the enemy and be wise, and we're going to look at some verses that will help us with striking this balance. Uh, but that should not be our focus. The devil should not be our focus. Our focus must be the Lord. I uh, remember being in Bible college, and I'm sure I've shared this illustration. That's the bummer about you know, being a pastor I can't get away with telling the same stories over and over. Well, I am getting away with it. You guys humor me. So. <laughs> In evangelism, I told the same stories all over. But uh, so maybe some of you have heard this, maybe some of you haven't. But when I was in Bible college, some crisis happened. I don't remember what it was, but it was, there was a big deal that was happening. And a bunch of us students said, let's pray during the lunch hour. And, and the word spread, and pretty much the entire student body skipped lunch. I felt sorry for the cooks that day. Uh, but... Uh, we skipped lunch, we went to the chapel, and we fasted and prayed during the lunch hour. I do not remember what we were praying about. I do remember what happened. One of the guys started snoring. We call that dwelling in Beulah land, where you're in the prayer meeting, but you're not quite in the prayer meeting. It's one thing if someone sleeps in a prayer meeting. It's another thing when they're sawing logs. I mean, this was, this was like Husqvarna. This was, this was chainsaw. This, this guy, you could not ignore it. And you know, people are sharing, bearing their heart and bearing their soul. And, you know, it's just kind of a mood killer. And finally, one of the guys got incensed. You know, we're all Bible college students, and so all of us wants to be Elijah. And so he put his Elijah prophet robe on, so to speak. He stood up and he called this guy down. So-and-so! wake up you're sleeping in a prayer meeting what's wrong with you i don't know what all he said it sounded pretty good he blistered that guy 
And this poor kid wakes up and he's not sure where he is, what's going on. He just knows he's getting torched by his classmate. Well then, there's another individual who didn't like what just happened. He can't, he can't just wake that guy up with blistering fire from heaven. That's not right. So this guy put his prophet robes on and he stands up. You have no call to do that to him. That is not right. And that is not, the, that you're not doing what the Lord told you to do and blah, 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 blah. Just told him off. Well, then you have two prophets going at each other. Oh man, I'm about ready to hide under the pew. You know, they're throwing the fire at each other. And it got ugly. Like a prayer meeting turned on a dime. And we were crying out to God one minute and the next minute I'm thinking, what's going on here? And I remember it went on for a little bit and then thank the Lord, someone I think did have the mind of the Lord. It was Oriel Gorman, our missionary to Ireland. Oriel stood up with his Irish accent and uh, I don't know, it's hard to get mad at an Irish guy, you know, this is a dignified accent. And he said, gentlemen, stop. The devil has gotten into this prayer meeting. The devil is here. And if we're going to have any hope of getting through with whatever we're praying about, and I can't remember what it was, we got to get the devil out. And everyone stopped. And he said, why don't we step outside? And so Oriel and the two prophets walked out <laughs> and uh, we were able to go back to praying. And you know what? We had a great prayer meeting. And then those three got it all worked out. They came back in, joined us, and we had a fantastic prayer meeting. Well, what was that? What was that? I would say Oriel had it right. I really would. I think the devil got in there. Can the devil do that? Does the devil show up at a prayer meeting? Absolutely. The devil can show up in church. The devil can show up wherever he, I suppose, wants to show up where God permits. You know, that's why we pray, Lord, keep the devil out of this situation. Lord, keep the devil out of my family uh, or, or whatever it is. This opportunity, I'm going to go witness to grandma. Lord, keep the devil out. We need to pray these things because uh, the devil does design to get in and disrupt. One Sunday school teacher felt like the devil had gotten into his class. This one kid was just out of control. And the teacher was beside himself. He goes over to little Johnny, grabs him by the shoulders. I don't know if you're allowed to do this. Don't do this. Uh, Jason, you know, probably, this probably doesn't pass with whatever you guys were talking about in the fellowship hall the other night. Okay, he grabs him by the shoulders and he says, Johnny, I think the devil's got a hold of you. And Johnny's shaking. I think he does too. <laughs> well, they both had a perspective there, right? Uh, yeah. You know, the devil does show up and oftentimes we miss it. Now again, there's a balance. We don't need to find the devil under every single bush. But we do need to not be ignorant of his devices and be able to recognize when Satan is attacking uh, here, uh, Satan and Pharaoh look a lot alike, okay? Pharaoh's a lot like Satan. Both are unrelenting, unrelenting enemies. Both covet the power of God for themselves. Both have assembled vast armies bent on destruction. And both of them, or neither of them, 
seem to realize how utterly defeated they are. Isn't it amazing? Pharaoh wouldn't give up. I'm thinking, it's over, buddy. It was over after the first plague. At least the second. He, he kept on and to his own destruction. But so it is with Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. He knows he's a defeated foe. And so therefore, he figures he has nothing to lose. So he's just going to keep on coming. And you and I make a mistake, a grievous mistake, when we think, ah, we finally dealt the death blow and he'll never bother us again. And while we are celebrating, he's circling around, getting ready to uh, launch his counterattack. Satan is likened to five animals in the Bible, a serpent trying to deceive, Genesis 3, uh, a bird spoiling the harvest, Matthew 13, a wolf attacking the flock in John 10, a lion ready to devour, 1 Peter 5, and a dragon waiting to destroy in Revelation 12. In other words, he comes at this thing from every single angle. Deception or an outright in-your-face attack. He can do it all. Satan tries to deceive and, and get us to put question marks where God has put periods. That's what he did in the garden. Yea, hath God said? Question mark. Ye shall surely die? Well, let's talk about this. I think, I think we, we need to explore all the semantics of what God really meant here. And off he goes, deceiving. Satan tries to snatch away what God has sown in our lives, like the birds in Matthew 13. God will bless us, and then Satan will come and just snatch it away through some distraction, or more often than not, through an individual. I have seen it happen so many times where I'm talking to someone and we are getting somewhere and we're breaking through and we have a prayer meeting and oh, it's glorious and this person is just trusting God for some neat victories in their life and then they go get around some person and that person either drags them away or maybe it's just a person who frustrates the daylights out of them and it discourages them and and back they go, snatches away what God has done in our lives. Satan will do it. He's like the wolf that tries to steal our abundant life. The thief, remember him in John 10, verse 10? The thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. But he is great at getting in the fold and stealing our abundant life. We should have joy. We should have peace. We should have hope. We should have confidence. We should know what true security is. And yet many times as Christians, we lose this. How do we lose it? It's stolen from us by the evil one. He tries to devour. He tries to destroy like that that uh, roaring lion and like the dragon. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the devil, but I, I don't want this to be the whole focus, and so I, I think we'll take two weeks on this, because I, I, I don't want, I know that uh, it says keep your eyes on the Lord, and I want to give most of our, of our focus with this point to keeping our eyes on the Lord, but it's hard to do that all in one session. 
So I think we'll sp spend two weeks here. But a couple of examples to help us be biblical as we are looking at navigating uh, the, the balance between acknowledging our enemy and keeping our eyes on the Lord. We're just going to run through several examples, okay? So I'll put them on the screen. You can follow along if you'd like. Uh, you have Acts 13.10, the sorcerer, LMS, the sorcerer. Uh, he's, he's rebuked here. O thou, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That's what Satan does. Satan will come in and try to pervert the right ways. That's one of his tactics. Acts 26, 18. This is a Christ's commission to Paul on the road, uh, the Damascus road. Uh, uh, he is told to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He wants to open eyes and deliver them from the power of Satan. What does that mean? It means that there are some who are under his power who need to be delivered. This is what he does. He walks around deceiving and trying to control. 2 Timothy 2.26 uh, this is some instruction for those who oppose themselves, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. He lays traps for us. He is great at laying a trap that he, he knows your, your patterns and he knows the trap that works for you. Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions among uh, and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the, peace of, and, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. There's a passage talking about division among the brethren and marking those who are causing divisions among the brethren and, and they have their own agendas and so forth. And he basically says, where does this come from? This, you can trace this right back to the devil. But the God of peace is going to take care of him. When there are divisions among, among us, sometimes over petty, silly things, a lot of times it's the devil. You know, uh, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you already know firsthand that this is a reality. Satan will pit you against someone over something, and it's probably going to be silly. It's probably going to be trivial. But Satan blows it out of proportion. He is at the root of causing these divisions. We've got to learn how he works and be quick to assign this to Satan so we can fight him. Otherwise, we, we fight each other and we get off. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 talks about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And the Bible says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So that tells us that sometimes uh, God will allow Satan to buffet us because God's going to use that for even a, a humbling or some kind of a, a, a work in our life uh, so that we can continue to be used of God. 
1 Thessalonians talks about Satan hindering the work. Wherefore, we would have come to you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. That's interesting. That's one of those ones we read right through. We read right through that, and we keep on going. But think about that. Think about what that means. Paul, he says, even I, Paul, once and again, would have come, but Satan hindered us. Paul was very aware of what Satan was doing in his ministry. And it helps to know when Satan's doing something because you know how to pray and you know how to resist him. And sometimes, folks, we will go through all sorts of stuff and never once even think, I wonder if the devil's fighting. I wonder if the devil is in this. And uh, we should. We should recognize he is very active and has his own agenda, and we need to confront him. In the matter of church discipline, you have it in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, to deliver such a one to, the, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, uh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow, that's a very serious thing. We don't, uh, we don't practice church discipline very often, but when we do, we do it very soberly because when you put someone out of the assembly because they are unrepentant, that's why someone is put out, uh, there's sin that they're persisting in that they do not want to repent of. Uh, they just want to do their thing. And so that person has to be put out of the assembly. You're putting them out of the body of Christ, the, the, the church, into Satan's domain. And Satan's going to, presumably, have his way. And we trust that God will use that to hopefully bring them back to God in repentance. First uh, Corinthians 7, 5, he tempts married couples. Defraud ye not one another, except it be for a consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Satan will get in there wherever he can. And if he can wreck a marriage by uh, pulling the couple apart and then uh, having them look elsewhere and have temptations there, he will do it. 1 Corinthians 10.20, But I say, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have the cup of devils, uh, have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of devils. And so there again, he's just highlighting the fact that there is two differences here. What the world is doing is not going to work for me. And Satan's agenda has no part in mine. Ephesians 4, be ye angry and sin not. Let not your son go down upon your wrath, neither give place <coughs> to the devil. Folks, do you realize when we are angry with someone and we let the sun go down upon that and it just seethes maybe for days or who knows long, you are giving the devil a foothold. You're giving place to the devil where, where, where you're actually inviting him a seat at your table. This is what Satan does. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 highlights the importance of forgiveness. And he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That passage is talking about the need to forgive. And if you don't forgive, he's saying, you better forgive, lest Satan get an advantage of us. Folks, how much of an advantage have we given to the devil because we have not been willing to forgive? 1 Timothy 4.1 now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, 
Well, I think we are in latter times, and this is going on right now. We need to have wisdom to discern. This is a doctrine of devils. This is not from the Lord. This doesn't match up with Scripture. Satan's at work here. 1 Timothy 5.15, we're almost done. Young widows who have lost their love for Christ are, are, are told that it is said of them that for some are already turned aside after Satan. 1 Corinthians 11.13, false apostles, uh, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Again, we need to be so discerning because Satan himself is an angel of light and his followers can set themselves forth as false apostles. 1 Timothy 3 highlights Satan's working in regards to pride. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. My being lifted up in pride is literally opening myself wide open for the devil to do what he does. This is why God keeps us humble. This is why God leads us to the Red Sea. So that we will be at the end of our rope and have nowhere to look but up and cry out to him. Ephesians 6.12 again tells us about spiritual warfare. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a real unseen realm. And we fight this spiritual warfare primarily in prayer. It is the primary battleground. We just ran through all of those. Why? Just to give a little bit of a flavor of, 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 of the Scripture's uh, emphasis there. But again, our emphasis is not going to be so much to study the devil as it is we want to acknowledge what he's doing and be aware so we can be savvy. But our emphasis, mainly next week, Lord willing, will be on and should be on keeping our focus on the Lord. And as we are doing that, we can fight from security and fight from confidence the spiritual warfare that needs to be uh, fought uh, against the principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness, and, the, and, and, and so forth in high places. So what do we do when the chariots are bearing down? And here comes the devil. Resist the enemy by faith. And we know this theologically, we know this intellectually, but it's so much harder when you're standing there with your back to the Red Sea and there's no way out. And here comes Pharaoh. Here comes all of his armies. Uh, you cry out to the Lord like they did, and then you start yelling at Moses. <laughs> How could you do this? We want to go back to Egypt. This is terrible. What's, this is a travesty. We're going to die here. And we panic. We lose our mind. Many of us, when Pharaoh is coming at us, our, our focus becomes 150% Pharaoh. How do I beat Pharaoh? How do I get around this? Uh, you know, th this sickness, this disease, this challenge, this what obstacle, whatever it is, we're Googling and we're calling and phoning a friend and uh, getting a support group and everything focused on Pharaoh. It's all Pharaoh. And we lose sight of the Lord. Without firm sight of the Lord, you're not going to be poised to do battle with Pharaoh. I, um, I thought I had this written down. Maybe I don't. Oh, there it is. Yeah, uh, so <clears throat> I preached on 
January 16th, this year, a message called The Abundant Life from John 10.10. I don't know if anybody remembers it. Uh, it was not a message that was supposed to have been preached because uh, that, I think uh, that was supposed to be Vision Sunday, but we had to move Vision Sunday back uh, because I had COVID and others had COVID and sickness. And so I think we moved, uh, I think we moved it back two weeks, I believe. So I had to come up with two messages that weren't in my, in my, uh, my plans. And one of them uh, was John 10, verse 10, called the abundant life. Does anybody remember it? Just curious. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't. Okay, a couple people. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it sticks in my brain because, let me give you the verse, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the Lord helped me to preach that message and uh, it really encouraged me as I preached it about the spiritual warfare and what Satan tries to do and, and you know, he is defeated and so forth. I'm telling you what, within one week of preaching that message, the devil had cleaned my clock um, in a major way. And frankly, done exactly what the verse says he will do, exactly what I preached on, that he will come in the back door and steal your joy and steal your abundant life. And, and uh, uh, yeah, boom, it happened so fast. I'm like, how did that happen? I just preached this like a week ago. And I, I think I see how it happened. If you are more concerned about the thief, hey, where's he going to get in? Is he getting in now? Where is he? Did I hear him? I, I think I heard him. There's a shadow. There's a shadow. Oh, my stars. What's that? You're, you're thinking about the thief. And you get your eyes off the Lord, you're, you're going to lose the battle. You're going to lose the battle. You've got to stay uh, completely focused on him. Yeah, acknowledge. You have to acknowledge him. He is out there. These are his tactics. We just read through them quickly. Uh, not all of them, but several. He's got all kinds of tactics. We're aware of those tactics, how he uses our pride, how he uses our anger and our unforgiving spirit and these various things. We know these tactics. We acknowledge that. But we are safe in the fold. And Jesus is the door. And he has given us the abundant life. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And as we get to know him and as we learn more and more of him, we get more and more security and confidence to be able to withstand the evil one when we need to. <clears throat> it keeps us humble as well. First Peter 5 uh, helps us with this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, you can resist him, knowing you're not the only one. Everything that you're going through, others are going through. You're all, we're all in this together. God's got all of us. He's got our back, as it were. But the God of all grace, 
who hath called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. This passage, taken as a whole, starts with a matter of submission and humility. That puts you in a place to be able to do spiritual warfare. Because a proud individual can't fight the devil because pride opens up a, 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 uh, a, passing, a passageway, if you will, through the wall of defenses. Pride is that chink in the armor that gives place to the devil. It starts with humility, and then you can be sober, be vigilant. Because uh, uh, we, we are then in that place where we're fighting from victory, looking to the God of all grace to strengthen us, establish us, settle us. Satan is defeated. We are on the victory side. We've got to stay humble and God-dependent, looking to the God of all grace for the victory. When I think of Satan as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, I, I think of uh, my time in Africa when we got a chance to go on a safari and see some, see some lions and we saw some in the Kruger Game Reserve. That was cool. Then we went to this place called the Lion Park. And you literally drive into the lion cage. I mean, these lion cages are acres, acres and acres of sprawling cage. And you drive through the lion cage. It's pretty crazy. And they tell you, do not get out of the vehicle. And they threaten you to an inch of your life. I'm like, what are they going to do? Kill you? You're already going to be dead by the lion if you get out, I suppose. But uh, they tell you the story about the one guy who got out and died. I don't know if that guy really did. I don't know. Maybe it's just trying to scare you in the vehicle. But uh, I did not get out of the vehicle. We drive through. I didn't see anything cool but a bunch of lions just laying there sunning themselves. There was one group that was just finishing a kill. That was interesting. Uh, we did have some hyenas chase us. We went through the hyena cage as well. They chased our vehicle and and we're chomping at the tires. And they told us if those hyenas get a hold of your tire and they pop it, nobody wants to change a tire in a hyena cage, right? So keep moving. So we kept moving. I don't like being chased by animals. Uh, not at all. I got, a, I, I got chased by a Rottweiler when I was running in South Bend, Indiana. This Rottweiler came out of nowhere huge. For me, it's a lion. The thing was way bigger than a hyena. Uh, it, was, it, it might as well have been a lion. This thing was a, a massive, and he, he chomped a hold of both of my legs, uh, both thighs, and I got a trip to the ER that day, and that wasn't fun. Uh, but I remember uh, a couple weeks later, I was healed up, and I thought I'd go for another run in a different town, and uh, ran by this one house, and here comes two Rottweilers. I mean, if you want to have a PTSD episode, that's a recipe for one. And they charged right at me. They looked just like the other one, huge. And this time, though, there was a fence between me and the Rottweilers. And uh, they stopped short. But I'll tell you what, I was just as scared as if that fence was not there. <laughs> I mean, I, it scared me out of my mind. I ended up almost on the other sidewalk. You know, I'm glad there was no cars coming. Uh, I, 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 you, immediately you just panic and rah! Then I felt silly. I really did. I had my pepper spray because I always would run with pepper spray after my first incident. 
I never sprayed the pepper spray. You know, I just freaked out. Uh, and I walked over there after, I called myself, and I said, I'm going to go face these guys, and I'm going to run on, you know? And I said some words to those guys. I don't know what I said. Ran on. But the, uh, the, the funny thing is, it didn't matter that that fence was there. I still responded the same. So it is oftentimes with us and the devil. God's got us. We are safe. We don't always feel safe. We want more assurances. We want more security. And what we're looking at is so scary. You're looking at all those teeth, all those fangs. What we need to recognize is, wait a minute, Satan is a defeated foe. He is behind that fence. He cannot get to me. We're going to see this more in the upcoming Red Sea rules, Lord willing. But God gave him a fence. He gave him a fence, and it was better than a chain link fence, let me tell you. It was a wall of fire. A pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night that was leading them came around behind them, and it was a pillar of fire that kept them safe. That Pharaoh, didn't matter how many chariots he had, didn't matter how many spears, didn't matter how many bodies, he could not go beyond the hand of God. And folks, this is something I have to be reminded of often. It's something you're going to have to be reminded of as well. Satan cannot go beyond the hand of God. We don't need to be terrified of the devil. We should acknowledge our enemy. We should be aware of his devices so that we can adequately and biblically confront him. Although we are acknowledging our enemy, we must keep our focus on the Lord. Satan cannot go through that wall. Paul's focus in his writings, and we'll be done. Jesus, 219 times. Lord, 272 times. Christ, 389 times. Satan, 10 times. The devil, 6 times. Just to keep it in perspective. Yes, we do need to know what's going on. We, know, we have to know how to fight, but we've got to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus, His strength, His power, His righteousness. Let's say our rules once again. First rule, Red Sea rule number one. Realize that God means for you to be where you are. Red Sea rule number two. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. And rule number three. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it is hard. I know from experience, as do I'm sure these folks, it is hard to not focus on the snarl and the fangs and just everything that comes at us so quickly. But Lord, our security is in you. Our trust is in you. You have your hand on us. We are in your hand. And Satan cannot touch us. He cannot go beyond the word of God. Lord, that is so comforting. Lord, I pray for every single person here who's facing a Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh on the other side. Lord, may they recognize that they are exactly where you want to be. 
You're about to glorify yourself in that situation. And though Satan is snarling, if we'll keep our eyes on you, you can give us peace in this trial. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.